Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to W is for Will. This episode is an outgrowth of the one I did two weeks ago on unconditional election, discussing the sovereignty of God. And so this is W is for Will, but it's really, uh, we're going to talk about free will. That episode on unconditional election generated some feedback, which I love, with some questions in it. What a, how, how can God be just and fair if he's decided who's going to be saved and everybody else uh, suffers eternal damnation? How is that fair? Because they never had a chance. Um, they, were, uh, they were not the elect. It also raised questions in one listener's mind about the matter of prayer. Why do we bother to pray if God has determined everything before the foundations of the world? What's the point uh, in, in praying? So we're going to talk about this. Uh, first, I want to say you may hear some noise in the background for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is pouring down rain. And you may hear that roar <laughs> that roar in the background, but frankly, we're glad for it. We haven't had a drop of rain in over two months. Phoenix only gets a little over seven inches of rain a year, and with a little over a month left, we've only had less than four inches, so we need every bit of rain we can get. The other thing is that younger son Josh and his family left early this morning for a week's vacation. We are dog-sitting for them. Cooper is with us. Cooper is a giant cross between a black lab and a Great Dane. He is a huge dog. I think he tips the scale at well over 140 pounds. He may weigh more than I do. I'd pick him up and stand on the scale, except I can't pick him up. He's an older dog. I think he, they said he's 13 years old. He's black with a lot of gray around his muzzle. And he is out of sorts because... His people are gone. He's in a place he really has never been before with people he doesn't know. And so you may hear him whining in the background. Uh, That's okay. Just feel sorry for Cooper. Um, He's sad, and that's uh, what it is. But we're going to press ahead with a discussion of free will and what to do with the topic, with, with the issue of free will when it compares and stands alongside the sovereignty of God. We saw that the Bible very clearly teaches that God has chosen those who will be saved, and he made that choice before the foundations of the world, that it is unconditional. We have done and could do nothing to merit God's gracious choice of those of us who are saved. What do we do then with the issue of free will. One more thing I should say before we begin. This may be the shortest episode in this entire series. We're coming to the end of our second trip through the alphabet, um, and, and I think this may be the shortest of 52 episodes. That's okay. It is, it is a very simple thing to settle. You're going to be surprised how easy it is to align the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. It's not going to take a lot of time. That said, it may be the most difficult thing you'll ever do in terms of coming to grips with biblical truth. This may be short because it's simple. That does not mean it's easy. There is so much biblical support for the free will of man. I'm going to read off a string of passages here, 
And I stopped at, oh, what have I got, eight or nine of them? I stopped when I was building up my list there, though I could have gone on for three or four more times that number because it is so clearly, the free will of man is so clearly taught in the Bible that man has to accept what God has done and exercise faith is, is just found throughout Scripture. So here we go. I'll start with the most familiar. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, King James, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That verse says that it is necessary to exercise faith, that only those who believe in him don't perish. Do you remember the Philippian jailer in Acts 16? There was an earthquake. All the doors flew open. The guy thought he was going to die. And uh, Paul and Silas called to him and said, Don't worry about it. It's all okay. We're all still here. And the man said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul's response was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And that doesn't mean that that man's faith saved him him and his household, it means that if his household does the same thing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and the same is true for your household. But it is necessary that he believe, that he exercise faith. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he, res- he rewards those who seek him. Look at that. He rewards those who seek him. An exercise of the will to seek God and then to exercise faith. They must believe that he exists. Romans 4.3 For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not it, it, That verse does not say God elected Abraham, and that was counted to him as righteousness. It says, Abraham believed God. It's something that Abraham did. John 20, verse 31. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's apparently an important enough dynamic that it uh, occurs twice in the New Testament. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It is something that we do, Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, salvation is by faith, not works. Faith is that complex act of the soul in taking hold of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. It is not an action that we do, but we accept, we believe what God says. Without taking God at his word, without believing what he says, that Christ has paid the penalty for our sins, we cannot be saved. If we believe what God says, that Christ is our substitute and paid the full and complete penalty for all of our sins, then we are saved. There is an aspect of the will, of the human will involved. We believe 
that uh, what God says. And so the word believe is used 84 times in the Gospel of John. That is a huge thing in the Gospel of John. Um, he says at the end in chapter 20, can you hear poor Cooper? It's pathetic. He says in the end, chapter uh, 20, not there's 21 chapters, but he says, I've written these things so that you may believe in the Son of God and that by believing you may have life through his name. There is an action of the will. It is not something we do. So this is a little tricky, but we distinguish between an act of the will that is belief and an act of the will that is some attempt at works. The latter is is ineffective, ineffectual, impossible. We cannot earn our salvation. Unconditional election. However, the former, that is to say, we must respond with an act of the will in taking hold of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work is necessary. Now, on the flip side, listen to John 12, 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Why? Because he has rejected a volitional act. John 3.18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um, and so, uh, the Bible teaches two things, that God in his sovereign will chose us who are saved uh, before the foundations of the world. The Bible also teaches that we must believe, we must receive and accept as true what the Bible says, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. Now I'm going to teach you a new word, at least I suspect it's going to be a new word for you. It's only used, at least the only place I've ever encountered it, is in theology. And the word is antinomy, and that is not the squishy thing that lives in the ocean. It's made up of two Greek words, anti, which means against, and namos, which means law. An antinomy is something against the law, not the law that's on the books down at the courthouse, but the law of logic, the law of reason. Here are two things that are mutually exclusive. They cannot both be true. The laws of logic uh, require that two opposing facts cannot be true. It is an antinomy. It is against the laws of logic. It cannot both be true that God chose us before the foundations of the world, those of us who are saved, and, and drew us to himself. Jesus said, unless the Father draws them, no one can come to me. It is entirely dependent on the choice of God, his election before the foundations of the world. That cannot be true, and also that it requires an act of our will to receive the salvation that has been offered at a point in time, at a point in history, our 
personal history. Those two things are mutually exclusive. That it is uh, that that God's sovereign election is required, and that our exercise of faith is required. Those can't both be true, except they are. It is what theologians call an antinomy. Okay, now you simply must go to our Facebook page, which is Alphabet Soup. You've seen our logo huh? on the podcast. You saw it. If you do a search on Facebook, I don't care how old you are and how Facebook averse you are, you simply must go to Facebook because next to the post of this podcast, ep- the link to this podcast episode, um, uh, right below it is a diagram, a simple diagram that I think visualizes what we're saying here. I'm going to describe the diagram, but you need to go see it, okay? It, there is a, rec- a rectangle, a, a box, if you will, a rectangle, and that box is labeled. It's just an outline. It, it's, it's just the, the outline, of the border of the box. There's nothing inside it at this point. I'll tell you what. But, okay, the box is labeled the sum total, and this may not be exactly what I put on there, but, but all the knowledge and wisdom of mankind. This box represents everything that man knows, has known, will know, or could possibly know. The sum total of man's knowledge. The sum total of man's understanding. I don't know. I heard somewhere that we only use 1% of our mental capacity. Don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but if we took 100% of all of the people who have ever lived, it would be a finite amount. Man's knowledge and understanding is finite, and so it is represented in this diagram as a box. huh? And inside that box is the sum total of all of man's knowledge and understanding was, is, will be, and could possibly be. Now, across this box, from left to right, are two lines, each of them at an angle. The upper line begins higher and descends as it moves across the box, and it is labeled the sovereignty of God. The lower line, the line below that, starts low and rises as it moves left to right across the box. And it is labeled the free will of man, mankind, okay? These two lines, one of which drops as it moves from left to right, the other rises as it moves from left to right, do not touch each other by the time they've reached the right edge of the box. I'm terrible at math. I don't know why. My dad was... I think the word genius um, is is appropriate here. My dad was a math whiz. Uh, He dropped out of the University of Washington one course short of having completed dual PhDs in math and physics. Um, Family circumstances required that he drop out. He did it because my mom was pregnant with her second child. He knew he could not go to school and finish up his PhDs, plural, and support the family. So he left and got a job with the Army Corps of Engineers. 
uh, the Flood Control Division. He went down and applied and was given a position. He showed up for the first day of work, and his boss, his new boss said, where's your slide rule? I realize that some of you don't know what a slide rule is or was. I'm not sure they even make them anymore. But trust me, before computers, before pocket calculators, um, almost before an abacus, there was this thing called a slide rule, uh, uh, an amazing little instrument that you held in your hand. Instrument. It's made up of three pieces of wood, a top piece, a bottom piece, and a piece in the middle that slides from left to right in a groove, and that's why it's called a slide rule. And the boss said, where's your slide rule? And, and my dad said, oh, I don't own one. This is a guy one course away from dual PhDs in math and physics. And, and this is like uh, the equivalent today of a guy who doesn't have a computer or a calculator. And the boss said, well, you won't. How, how do you do your, um, your equations? He says, I, I do them in my head. And his boss says, you will never have any credibility in this office if you don't come with a slide rule. Uh, tomorrow, bring a slide rule. So when he got off work, he went shopping, bought a slide rule, and took it back to work with him. Um, by my father's and my God's grace, I have that slide rule. It is a treasured possession, and it looks as new as the day my dad bought it. You know why? Because he never used it. My dad was a math whiz. He did not pass one tiniest piece of that DNA on to his middle son. I, I just can't do numbers. My brain can do music. It cannot do numbers. Uh, you tell me a number, and 30 seconds later, I've forgotten it. If I haven't written it down, I forget it. it it's just horrible. Um, when I went to high school, you had to pass geometry to get out of high school. I think now they require uh, trigonometry. I'm not sure. <clears throat> they require a lot more than they did in 19 None of Your Business. I only passed geometry because my teacher had pity on me. He gave me what is now called a social pass. That is to say, he did it He did it to save my, my function in society. I got a D minus, but that was enough to get me my high school diploma. I remember almost nothing about geometry class, except that I didn't understand almost anything that was said. One thing stuck in my head. Why it stuck there, I don't know. But it is a rule of geometry, one of those geometric laws that says... Uh, Two non-parallel lines in the same plane will intersect. All of that was to go back to the diagram. The diagram is a rectangle with two non-parallel lines that approach each other as they move from left to right across the uh, box, but do not intersect. The point of intersection is outside of the box. You'll recall that the box is the sum total of man's knowledge and understanding, past, present, future, and potential. Those two lines do not intersect. The point of intersection we're going to call the point of reconciliation, the point where the sovereignty of God and the free will of man that seem like mutually exclusive truths, in fact, intersect and are reconciled. Where does that happen? Outside the finite box of man's knowledge and wisdom and understanding. However, God's knowledge and wisdom and understanding is infinite. And somewhere outside of the box, those two truths, 
that seem for all the world to be mutually exclusive do in fact reconcile with each other. And they reconcile in the mind of God. Okay, that is difficult to wrap my... Well, it's impossible for me to wrap my head around. It is something that I either accept or don't accept. Okay, we're coming up on uh, my arbitrarily assigned time limit for a half of an episode. I said we might get this done in one in one part. Uh, we're not going to. I'm going to stop here, and I've got, trust me, I've got some really important, what I think at least, are important things to say, but I'm going to do them in what will be, I think, a pretty short part two. So I hope you'll join me over there. Thank you.